Hi everyone, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. If you're watching it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the show, make sure to subscribe so that you get notified when a new show is released. And if you'd like to find links to videos or mp3 files, just go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com and you can also submit any eerie experiences you've had at the Submit Your Story tab. Also, hook up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where you can find information not only about new shows, but also about monthly free merchandise giveaways. So, get comfortable, enjoy this new episode, and just imagine it's a dark and stormy night where not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. And if a creature is stirring, you hope it's a mouse. Hi everybody, this is Marley with Mima Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. It is October here in Miami, but as you can see, I'm dressed with a tank top. Well, for those of you that can see, the one you guys that are going to hear this podcast, you have no idea, so I'm telling you, I'm in a, I'm in a tank top because, of course, South Florida, uh, we don't have seasons. Over here, it's and a little bit cooler in the mornings and then late at night and I know I give you guys a weather update because everybody's always asking me about uh, what the weather is like down here and yeah it's, it's just a little bit less hot beautiful weather nice weather uh, and it's in about what like four days it's gonna be Halloween and believe it or not I wish we did have like seasons here just because of the Halloween but hey it is what it is but anyway guys Today I have a super interesting guest. I know you guys are going to be super excited. I have a gentleman by the name of Brennan Store. Now Brennan, he is a researcher uh, with a lifelong interest in the paranormal. He's written several articles, including the Diversity Reporter, What's Up Victoria, and the Revelstoke Current. Uh, he's also, and we're going to ask him about this, he currently works in a haunted office building in Victoria, Canada which is considered the most haunted city on the Western Canadian coast. He is a former atheist term believer. We're going to find out how that happened. And he has been subject to an, <laughs> this stuff definitely I'm going to ask about, to an accidental exorcism, and he's had encounters with shadow people. Uh, you can find him at uh, largelythetruth.com, and I'll have that link on the credits of the show. He is also the author of A Strange Little Place and co-host of the show the ghost story guys so anyway how are you doing today brennan i'm great thank you for having me no absolutely it is my pleasure my pleasure uh and i'm gonna ask you what i ask all my guests even though i see that you 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 know you had that 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 giveaway that you were an atheist turned believer but anyway i'm going to ask you when was your first brush with the paranormal as a kid as an adult i know sometimes people have them as a kid they don't realize what it is until they become adults and think back and they'll go wow that was weird what happened with you well i think what happened for me was uh you know i had an experience as a kid but i didn't remember it really until I was an adult because uh, I was very much an atheist you know I, I, I grew up Catholic but it didn't take real well mm-hmm. you know my family were all uh, were all they're all old school Italians and they they tried their hardest but it just didn't take in me and uh, so until I started writing my book a strange little place which was really started as a family history project oh, really? uh, okay. yeah my family again were you know I'd like to say we're a bunch of superstitious old Italians. We tell ghost stories around the dinner table. And, sure. Uh, 
I thought I'd record those for for posterity, you know, because they're fun to tell at parties, things like this. But I didn't really didn't really believe. And then through the course of talking to people, and I I sort of uh, realized this could be a book. And then it occurred to me, oh man, I had some stuff happen to me, you know, and it it just sort of gone out of my head. And the first thing I really remember is I was oh maybe eight, maybe nine. And uh, my grandmother, bless her, she used to love reading tabloids, you know, the Star and the Inquirer and, mm-hmm. and these kinds of things. Uh, and this instilled in me a lifelong love of gossip, but that's a whole other subject. You get me going on celebrity gossip, I can keep you here all day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but anyways, I used to read these tabloids, and I remember in one of them there was a thing on, uh, are you tired, you know, how to tap into the Earth's energy to boost your boost your day or something. And, I mean, I was a kid. I wasn't particularly tired, but I thought, well, this sounds like cool superhero stuff. And it was sort of a, you know, sort of a meditation uh, exercise. Okay. So I tried it, and it was, as I recall, something to do with like opening yourself and and you know opening to the earth and these kinds of things. Okay. So I tried it, and not much happened. And I thought, okay, well that was disappointing. Uh, but then that night, or later that night rather, I think it was about 8:30, uh, and I remember because I was looking at the, uh, I had one of those little red LED alarm clocks. And uh, as I lay there in the dark, I realized there were what looked like two bats, or several bats swirling above me, like flying above me in bed. It was dark in the room, so it was just shapes. And I thought, oh man, these bats, uh, bats somehow got in my room. I'm going to have to call my mom and get her to, you know, see if we can do something about these bats. Uh, But I realized I couldn't move. And as I lay there, just unable to move, these bats flew down and through my chest as I lay there in bed and I remember feeling uh, electricity all throughout my body and then I just fell asleep which just sounds like a dumb thing to do when something that exciting is happening but Uh that's has sort of as my experience my research has shown that's actually quite common yes and uh, yeah and I again I I forgot all about it but I, I sort of made this connection there was a point in my childhood, I believe it was between grade four and five, okay. where I w- went from being a really outgoing, goofy, you know, class clown type guy to being very quiet and very reserved. And okay. I'm with, I guess it was depression. I think that was the beginning of my sort of lifelong experience with, uh, with clinical depression. Uh, but I do believe the two may have happened around the same time. I, I don't know, but... A later experience with shadow people as an adult leads me to believe that there may have been an association. You know what? That sounds like a bit... And I know what you're saying about as far as depression, but it's a bit young. Usually, sometimes people go into that around adolescence. So, it's... I I wonder if that experience you had, there's any connection between one and the other. Going from, like, what you said, being the uh, the class clown to... Sounds like from an extrovert to an introvert. Uh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I was, again, really loud and outgoing and, yeah, just goofy, loved riffing on stuff the teacher said. You know, I was I was, I was a good kid in school, you know, I, I, mm-hmm, I did well, but mm-hmm. I was also a bit of a goober. And, uh, yeah, that changed. And, I mean, I, I've, I've sort of become, gone more back that way as I've gotten older. You know, I've sort of okay. become a little more comfortable in myself again. But uh, I always wondered if that was sort of a demarcation point for me because, again, when I... Possibly. When I saw the shadow person as an adult... Uh, actually, shortly after I started working on this book, oh, really? I, uh, 
Yeah, so I, I it was uh, April 2012 when I finally uh, conf- like committed to writing the book. Uh, because the kind of personality I have is once I say I'm going to do something, I do it. So consequently, I try not to commit to many things because I will see them through whether or not they're good for me. Yeah. So I said I'm going to do this book. And now the book is a paranormal history of my hometown, uh, Revelstoke, B.C. It's in the, the, uh, the Rocky Mountains, I believe, in uh, western Canada. Very small little mountain town. So I, I don't live there anymore. So I would have to drive from where I live on the coast uh, okay. to Revelstoke, which is about, I want to say, about 10 hours and includes a two-hour ferry trip. So it's, you know, it's a bit of a haul. So I, I would sort of have to do as much research as I could in each of these trips. So in the very first trip, I got to Revelstoke and, uh, you know, did all my fact-finding and talked to a bunch of people and heard a lot of things I never imagined I'd ever hear. Okay. So when I came back here to Victoria... Uh, and I was working in this haunted office building, which actually I've just recently left, and I, I don't miss it. But um, at the time, I was alone in the office. I was working for a small consulting company, and it was just me and our receptionist in the office at the time. Okay. Beautiful April morning, sunlight coming through the windows. There were a lot of windows. Behind the receptionist, uh, to give you an idea of, of the layout, behind the receptionist was my boss's office. To the right of that was another office to the right of that was my office and then there was a bunch of other stuff behind us but that's that's sort of the relevant geography okay as i stood there telling her the story or the stories of revelstoke just various spooky stuff and now bear in mind again we are completely alone in this in this office i saw in the office next to my bosses an all black head peek out from behind a coat rack holy crap just enough just just a little bit, just enough for me to see it, and it stayed there just long enough. I'm convinced for me to be sure uh-huh. that I had seen it and for it to be sure that it knew I saw it. It went back behind the coat rack, and I started to panic. Because, again, <laughs> now, bear, bear in mind, I'm an atheist at this point. I don't really, really believe in ghosts. I like horror movies and heavy metal. I don't really <laughs> believe in ghosts or anything paranormal. So you so, must have been like, oh... Oh man, I started to panic. Holy smokes! Um, and and so and of course I couldn't break the conversation. I had to keep talking, so I just sort of forced the panic down. And and uh, you know I remember, it, it, yeah, I've gotten good at doing that. Um, but I remember the color just started draining from the day, and I started panicking, going nope, 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 and, and pushed it down. Well, that was fine, but then about two weeks later, I woke up. It was about. Again, about 8.30 in the morning, as I recall. Eight, maybe it's 8 in the morning. Uh, it was May by this point. Again, beautiful morning, sun coming through the blinds. Our room was painted white, so it was quite bright in there. Uh, my wife had already gone to work because, as I like to say, she has a grown-up job. So she has to go at regular hours. And so I just lay there. I rolled over. I saw the time on her clock on her side of the bed. And then I kind of went back to my side. And I realized that there's something just out of the corner of my eye. It looks like there's something standing next to my side of the bed. But where it's where I perceive it to be standing, nothing can be there because there's already a, a table there. So I turn to look, and this shadow, it's a shadow in the shape of a man. And it fell across me in the bed. And I couldn't I didn't couldn't move in time. I didn't know what to, I just froze. And it hit me and again I felt electricity all throughout my body. And then I passed out. And I woke up about half an hour later, and I said to myself, well, that was, that was strange. 
Uh, but that marked the beginning of the blackest period of depression I've suffered since high school. Really? It was incredible. Um, it, I, it was like everywhere I went, it was like there was a weight around my neck. Is okay. the best way I can describe it. And it persisted for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks, until I provoked an argument with my wife, which I do not do. I, I'm not an argumentative. Well, okay, I'm an argumentative person, but not with the people I love. Um, right. And I just provoked this stupid argument. And after that, it was almost like popping a boil. This thing was gone. The, the depression was gone. That mood lifted. It was, I mean, even now after spending, I guess, six years kind of marinating in the paranormal, I still find it hard to say stuff like this, but I think whatever it was was trying to generate that response because it needed, it wanted to feed on it. Right. I, I was about to say, it was like, how much of this was really you, that depression or whatever oh, yeah, it no, was I, that you saw? I think I had help. I do think I had help there. Yeah, not, not help. I mean, you know, the opposite of help, but I think there was something influencing me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was sort of the last time that, that was a thing that as an adult really made me go, okay, so I have no idea what the world is really like because this just happened. There's no way to deny this happened, but I don't have, this doesn't fit into my materialist worldview, you know, my, my atheist worldview that I had sort of set up. So I had to really, I had to throw that one in the bin and start figuring out a new model of the world. And I, I my accidental exorcism sort of leads on from that. Uh, because I will, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story now. So I, a year later, it was actually, it was a year later, it was in May of 2013. I was in Vancouver, which is just across the water from Victoria. Now I had gone over there for, uh, three concerts over four days. And my wife had come with me for, uh, one of them and she was going to stay for the others, but then her schedule shifted and she had to go back to work. Okay. So I stayed in, I stayed in Vancouver to go see the two shows on my own. So I had one day, one day where I didn't have to, uh, where I didn't have anything on. It was a Sunday. So I was renting a room in a house, uh, sort of, this was early, kind of an early Airbnb type service. Mm -hmm. So I took my book and I, I walked out the door. I was going to go, I'm going to go read in a Starbucks, just kill time on a Sunday. Yeah. And as I walked out of the door, I heard a voice say, hello there. And I, I turned to look and there was, uh. There was a, an elderly indigenous man there, um, I don't know, First Nations, I don't know what, what the what the term is anymore. He was a, an Indian man, like a, mm -hmm. a, a native native man. And he he looked pretty rough. You know, he had a, a track suit on, sort of a beat up, uh, as I recall, beat up, maybe a, tra maybe a track suit or something like it. He had a gray gym bag slung over one shoulder, and he had in his right hand this wooden cane uh, with orange electrical tape wound around the bottom. I remember that bit. Wow. You got a good and, look at this guy. Well, we spent the next two hours together, so. <laughs> we, uh, I said, hello there. He said, uh, I said, how you doing? And he said, oh, I'm, he said, I could do, uh, I could do with a, or sorry, no, he asked me, he said, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm well, thank you. How, how are you? And he said, oh, well, I could do with a coffee, you know, as I, as I make my way through the world. But aside from that, I'm good. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going that direction anyways. Walk with me, I'll buy you a coffee. So we start walking, and uh, I said, my name's Brennan, what's your name? And uh, he said, oh, I'm Dennis. Uh, my name's Dennis. I said, oh, nice to meet you, Dennis. He says, would you like to know my, my spirit name? I said, yeah, sure, what, what is it? And he told me, and uh, he said, do you want to know yours? Of course, yes, absolutely. I said, yes, I would love to. And he said, okay, well, he said, not everyone has one. So he said, well, 
we get to the coffee shop, I will ask. I'll ask the spirits if you have a, a name, and if you do, I'll tell you. So now I've bought coffee for homeless guys before. You know, I, I usually it follows a pattern. Uh, the, some of them just take the coffee and go. Some of them ask for something sweet to go with it, and sometimes if you give them something sweet, then they ask for a, a pack of smokes. And uh, you know, usually once you say no there, they just they kind of walk out of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got to the coffee shop, and he said to me, "I'll t- I'll have whatever you're having. You know, two cream, two sugar. I'll I'll go find us a table." I thought, okay, this is not what I expected, but sure, let's see where this goes. So he uh, he leaves. I get coffee and I go over to him, and we had the the next two hours were probably some of the most bizarre conversation of my life. Uh, he told me he's a shaman, that he's been a shaman since he was 16. Um, he said he said I'm an alcoholic. He said I, I'm not ashamed of that. He said I'm not proud of it, but he said this is part of who I am. And that explained this, this sort of neurological twitch he had. Every now and again, his head would kind of, uh, like, violently twitch to one side. Okay. Is the best way I can explain it. So, anyways, uh, we got talking about these things. And I, I don't ask people for advice much. But he really seemed to know what he was talking about. He seemed sincere. So I said, look, man, I want to ask you something uh, about what these things that happened to me. And I told him the stories I just told you. Okay. So he looks around and he said... I don't know why you've been having these dreams. And I said, well, no, they're not dreams. And he put a hand up and he said, it's best if we call them dreams. I said, okay. So he reaches into his bag. Now, bear in mind, this is all happening in front of a very busy Starbucks on a very busy street in downtown Vancouver at about 7.30 at night on a Sunday. Wow. Keep that in mind as all this is happening. Okay. He reaches into his, this gym bag, which is hanging over the back of his chair. And he pulls out a purple, uh, sorry, a uh, purple, translucent purple plastic recorder, you know, like a kid would play in, 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 uh-huh. in elementary school. And he blows the same note about 15 times. And he looks around, he shakes his head, reaches into his bag, pulls out a, uh, a maraca, and shakes it. And, and the maraca is uh, gray plastic with uh, Olmeca tequila on the side and faded red lettering. <laughs> And I remember thinking that if this was uh, uh, sort of like a you know middle class suburban shaman, they'd have a hand carved wood thing that they paid thousands. Right, of you're thinking for. so much for any of the authentic that you think of indigenous things. You know, this is he's using whatever he had at hand. Yeah, and I think actually, I mean, I've learned since that's really important with 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 what you might call magic. It, it's not necessarily about the. It's no, it's not. about the the intentionality behind the prop. It's Absolutely. not necessarily the prop itself, but uh, but anyway, so he does this. And he looks around, and he says something about a doctor, and then he starts walking off. And I thought, oh, are we, are we done? But then he, he left his bag, so I thought, well, I assume he's coming back. Well, a minute or two later, he comes back, and he has something green in his left hand. And he shoves it in my mouth. And he says, chew this and swallow it down. <laughs> and now, at this point, I've got something, I vaguely recognize the flavor in my mouth, some kind of greener. At this point, I thought one of two things happens. I either go, we're done here, old man, and I go home, or I chew the stuff and see what happens. So I chewed the stuff, see what happens. And he, he looks at me and said, did you swallow it down? I said, yes. He goes, okay. So he puts some in his own mouth, chews it. Then he puts his hands on either side of my head. Again, busy Starbucks, middle of the, middle of the early evening. Pulls my head forward and goes, just blows on the top of my head 
Now I thought he had blown the like chewed this stuff up and spit it all over my head, and I thought, oh gross. <laughs> oh my god. But he hadn't. I, I just remember thinking that at the time. So right, he pulls exactly. me fo- pulls me forward again and goes whoosh, blows again on the back of my neck. Pulls me forward even further and does that again all the way down my spine. Then he sits me back up, looks at me and says, okay, it's done. And then he sits down. And I said, what's done? And he said, oh, just give it a minute. And over the next few minutes as I sat there, I felt this feeling settle over me. It was it was kind of like the very first time I tried cannabis edibles. Okay. Um, like it, I remember thinking, my hands aren't my hands. My hands, I can't move them. I make a request and then they move. They're not my hands. The hands just move in response to the things I ask them to do. Like a delay, uh, which again, in other words. Not a delay necessarily, but I was very conscious of that I am operating a machine in a way. Okay. And I start feeling really just funny is the best way I can describe it. And I said, Dennis, you think you poisoned me, man? And he said, nope, I didn't poison you. You're going to be fine. I said, I feel like I'm going to pass out. He said, you're not going to pass out. Just relax. I said, my legs feel wobbly. I feel like if I tried to stand up, I'll fall over. And he says, no, you won't. Stand up. You'll see. So I stood up. My legs were solid. I sat back down, and I waited. He said, is it over? I said, yeah, I think so. He said, okay, well, you had the wrong spirit in you. And what I I did was I, I removed it, and what you felt was a new spirit settling in. And he said, uh, he said I'm, your life is going to change. And he said, I'm sorry, because I couldn't give you a choice. This had to be done now. But he, So he said, your life is going to change, and I'm sorry you didn't have a choice in that. He said, it's not going to be bad change, but your life is going to change. And he said, uh, do you ever wonder why your belly swells? And I said, oh, I assume because I eat too much. And he gives me kind of a, a, kind of a look like a smart ass. Uh, but then he says, yes, but also you had the wrong spirit in you. He said, your belly will shrink now. And so I said, he said, do you feel okay? I said, yeah, I think so. He goes, okay, well, we're good. We're done. And he grabbed his stuff. He said, I'm going to go get a drink. And he just started walking away. And I said, well, uh, thank you. And he said, yeah. He said, you're welcome. He said, you gave me a gift. And he pointed at the empty coffee cup on the table. He said, this is my gift to you. And he just walked away. So I didn't know what to think. And now people were staring. Okay. So I grabbed the book I'd been reading and walked back to my room, went and lay down. I told, you know, called my wife, told her what happened, and she said, well, if you feel okay, you're, you're probably okay. Just you know, keep an eye on it and see how it goes. So a couple hours pass. I'm in my room reading, and I thought, man, I'm hungry. And I thought, ah, that's why I felt so funny. I've barely eaten anything today. That's what it was. So I decided to go to my sort of preferred burger joint just down the road. And uh, when I stepped outside of the house, a funny thing happened. A car passed by me, not not going close, not no, pardon, it wasn't it wasn't overly close to me, it wasn't going fast, but it just passed, and I was terrified of the noise. And all of a sudden, I was aware, in a way I had never been before, of all the sounds in the city, and they were overwhelming. And the neon lights were so bright, and I remember thinking it's like I'd been looking at the world through a, a window. And someone had taken out the glass. Wow. Everything was so vivid. And uh, I I finally managed to get a handle on it, crossed the street, and then I looked up the road, up what's called Davy Street, and there's a Sandman Suites way down. 
and the bright green of that sign hanging as it did about halfway up the building, being so high in the sky, scared me. Something about it's just it's so high, it's so bright, how can that be? And I eventually got it back under control. And I went to the burger joint and I ordered my usual. And I, I remember biting, uh, once the burger came and the soda came, I, I sort of had this moment where I, I didn't know what to do with it. And I mean, I know what that sounds like, because it's obviously, a, and I, at the time I knew it, it's a hamburger and a soda, you idiot. You know, this is right. what you get every time you're here. But it was difficult for me to, I just wasn't quite sure. So eventually I picked off a piece of it, put it in my mouth. I thought, okay, this tastes good. So I, I ate about half the burger. And I, I had a sip of the soda, and I, I remember thinking it looked plastic. It didn't look real. It didn't look like something you should drink. And I took a sip of it, and I went, oh, that's kind of sweet. And that was sort of, I had a little bit of it, and that was it. Uh, so I went back to my room, I crashed, and uh, ever since then, and the next morning I felt totally normal, but ever since then I have these nights where it's like the glass is out of the window again. And I have a fear of heights I didn't have before. Um, I have, certainly I've lost weight. I'm in better, way better shape than I ever used to be. So it's something shifted, and uh, I sort of credit that, at least in, to a large part, to my, my accidental exorcism, because... I guess he just pointed out he found a weak spot, or maybe something was wrong with me, right. and there was a weak spot that these things were trying to get into, or were getting into. And since then, I've seen the shadows once before, or once more, Okay. and they couldn't get close. Wow. And you've never seen him again? No. No. I mean, I'm sure he's just tottering around Vancouver somewhere, but no, I've okay. never, never seen him again. I don't even know if I would recognize him again, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I, his face is kind of not blurry. It's just kind of not there. I mean, I remember he had you know sort of darker brown skin, and I think he might have had you know, kind of greasy gray-white hair, and maybe a little bit of a mustache, um, okay. and he was about five foot three. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I never uh, – no, I, I certainly have, have not seen him again. Talk about – you know, being at the right place at the right time. Oh, I know. I well, I mean, I'm starting to think now that these things are maybe not uh, not accidents. Oh, you know, you sort not. of you kind of you end up in places and and yeah, uh, or you don't end up in places. I mean, I like to tell the story of the time I was in Los Angeles in 2015. It was my first ever visit to the city, and uh, I was um, it was a Tuesday night. I was going to go check out Roast Battle at the Comedy Store never been I always wanted to check it out but something kept telling me no 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 and I couldn't motivate myself out the door I could not motivate myself out the door so I just ordered a pizza kind of hung out and watched television shot the breeze with a pizza guy well that night at roast battle uh, as the show was getting out there was a shooting in front of the comedy store wow yeah and that was the second time on that trip uh, my intuition had sort of well, either kept me from... Well, I was going to say, the intuition wasn't that, like, don't go because something bad's going to happen. It was just, uh, I'm not going to go. But it's interesting. That seems to be my how my body, or how okay. my, I don't know what you call it, my psyche, that seems to be how it treats these things. Okay. Which is rough, because if I thought, oh, something bad's going to happen, I wouldn't go. But usually how it manifests in my head is, oh, I'm just being lazy. Which then, of course, right. I sort of challenge myself to go do this thing, and then dumb things happen. Right, it was um, not like, oh, I'm getting this feeling of dread and I'm just not going to go. Or I've had this no, dream where I see, what? 
Yeah. But then uh, about a week earlier, uh, it was my first Friday or Thursday, my first Thursday in L.A., and I went to go see the Groundlings up on Melrose. And then I thought, uh, I, I like taking night photography. I like doing night photography, especially industrial stuff. You know, I, okay. I very much like that. Um, so I wanted, I w- always wanted to see City of Industry, which okay. is, of course, an industrial suburb in East L.A. And it's about 12 square miles of, you know, factories, rail yards, loading docks, you know, it's it, it, with something like 200 people living there, according to the census. It's empty at night. Okay. So I went to go see Groundlings, and I went out to Industry, and it would have been about midnight, I guess. And these streets are huge, wide streets, and I'm by myself, walking around, taking pictures. Uh, you know, never too far from my car, but the whole time I felt jangled. Just, and I thought, oh, it's because I'm in a city, and I, I've, you know, I've never, I've been to cities before. You know, I've been to Cairo, I've been to Marrakesh, but I've never been to L.A., and as I'm sure you know, L.A. is a very different beast. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I thought, ah, it's just me being nervous. But finally, it got the better of me at about 1.30, because uh, no matter where I went, I felt nervous. And uh, finally, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm done. So I went to get back on the freeway, and there was a cop car parked at an angle across the on-ramp. He had the, the fly, his lights on. And I started to, I, I, you know, hillbilly that I am, I, I thought it was a sobriety checkpoint. Okay. So I start, I start pulling up to it. Well, of course, the officers get out, hands on their hip, and they say, what are you doing? I put my hands up. I said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm not from here. And the officer said, they don't have road flares where you're from? And I, I looked in my rear view, and I realized I'd been so transfixed by their lights, I completely the, the missed flares. the road flares. And the officer says, we've got, a, we've got a shooter up on this freeway. You need to get out of here right now. What? So I, I booked it out of there, and I took uh, surface streets almost all the way back to the, the room I was renting in the Hollywood Hills, which took a while. And when I checked KTLA in the morning, I found out they had chased that gunman all through industry. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, It's like, yeah, I just... I think I'm gonna leave now, but yep, and yeah, so they had chased them all through there, and then I remembered I'd had a dream years before about being about walking around in Los Angeles, except it was in the daytime. Now, bear in mind, this is before I'd ever been to L.A. Okay. Uh, but I'd had a dream about walking around in L.A., and I was just about to walk under a freeway overpass when two police officers stopped me and said, "No, you can't go. They're shooting up ahead." So I somehow dreamed about that oh, two or three years ahead of when it actually happened. And uh, yeah, yeah it's intuition again, maybe, I don't know if it kept me safe or you know, kept me closer to getting something stupid happening that time, but either way, I came out of it all right. W- would you say that you left earlier from that area because of the way you were feeling? Uh, yeah, I would have hung around. Yeah. But I mean, he was already up on the freeway by that point, so who knows. But I mean, I had moved around kind of randomly. Like I would randomly go, okay, I'm done now, and get in the car and go to a different part of the uh, part of the yeah. suburb. So, uh, who knows? But um, yeah, so I, I, I certainly my intuition has a couple times uh, saved my butt. And then there are times where uh, I sort of ignored it and had what you might call paranormal encounters, okay. because I think, uh, as goofy as it sounds, I, I am sensitive to nights. The, the night is very much my time. Okay. And I am sensitive to nights where they are moving around. Whatever you want to call the things that sort of we all talk about, mm-hmm. nights where they are moving around more. And I generally, again, the feeling is, no, just stay inside. Just stay inside. Which, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure there's times that maybe you, for lack of a better word, dodged the bullet, but just 
you never found out about it. You see what I'm saying? There's no way for oh, you afterwards to absolutely. say, wow, yeah, thank no. God I did or didn't do such and such a thing. That's it. And and on those nights, I do generally stay. Um, there was one, actually, one particularly uh, eventful night. Well, I say eventful, but this ties into that haunted office building I used to work in, um, okay. which I don't miss, as I mentioned. I spent seven years working in there. I don't, uh, I don't miss that. But so one night, uh, we used to record the Ghost Story Guys, the podcast I co-host with Ian Gibbs. Okay. We used to record that in a little studio I had set up in my office in this building. Um, and I would also record my radio show there. Uh, largely the truth, I do a weekly music show on, uh, on an FM station out here. So I would, rec- I would go in to record those at night when no one else was around because it's quiet. Well, one night, I had work to do, and my laptop was there. So I, I needed to get it done, but I, I, again, couldn't motivate myself out the door. And I thought, oh, man, it's just, oh, I'm tired. I'm not tired. I just don't feel like going anywhere. But I thought, no, i got to get this done. So I put on my shoes, and I was just headed out the door when a friend of mine sent me a text message and said, hey, are you at the office? I said, no, why? I was just heading there. And they said, maybe don't. I said, why? And they said, well, I just was sitting here watching a movie on my laptop in bed, and I just had the weirdest feeling like you were in danger at the office. And uh, so I said, okay. And they said, so don't go there. I said, okay. I said, do you want to go drive past it to see if it, we can feel anything? And they, they, thankfully, they were as stupid as I am, so they said yes. So I picked them up, and uh, the whole drive downtown, I felt like there was something happening to my, sort of just to my left, like ahead of me to the left. Okay. And I, I very quickly realized ahead of me to my left, that's the direction of my office. Now, my office sits at the corner at the edge of what's called Bastion, my old office, sits at the edge of what's called Bastion Square. Uh, and that is the site of an old fort where they used to execute people. Uh, that is believed to be one of the more hard haunted parts of town. Uh, and certainly I've heard stories about people in the neighboring buildings who've had issues. And we had a lot of issues. But okay. uh, as we, we drove towards it, it felt stronger. And I can't even, it, it, the feeling I get when I'm really tuned in and paying attention, when I'm near something that paranormal that I can't see, it's like being next to a speaker that's at top volume, yeah. but you can't hear it you just feel it kind of blasting at you uh-huh so we are heading up the street uh turn left to it, the the office is on kind of a weird little uh one-way streets so in order to get there you have to sort of turn left and then turn left again okay so we turn left onto the the first we take the first left and immediately my this voice in my head says do not do not take that second left and as I looked towards the office building, which I could see from the street I was on, in my mind's eye, I saw what looked like a hurricane, a black hurricane on that spot, like a, like a cylindrical column of black air just turning and turning and turning. Okay. And as we passed parallel to it, we, again, we, weren't, we didn't walk in front of it, we were parallel to it. So there was that full parkade between the building and the car. I felt on this left side of my body, closest to that building, uh, something I can best describe as a cold blowtorch, all the just on my left side of my body, like someone was blasting me with frigid air, 
I've never experienced that before. It was incredibly powerful. I mean, it was like the chills you might get in a cold room, you know, right. when something is, is happening, but to the thousandth degree. It was incredibly powerful. And uh, and that was it. That was just, we, we decided not to get any closer. But the next morning, uh, it was just warm the hell out there. The, I, I had to go to the office to get my stuff. And it felt literally like a beach after a storm has gone through. Everything just felt washed out and worn out. And okay. it wasn't, yeah. So it's uh, sometimes, yeah, definitely I've got that, that sensation of this is not a good thing to, yes. this is not a good time to be out. And, and uh, that was at least one occasion where I had that verified, where I realized, okay, no, this is, this is bad. Right, and a lot of people, when they have those feelings, they just like, oh, yeah, I was like, that's stupid. My imagination is running away with me. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, in my more rational moments, because I mean, I have a day job, you know, I don't, uh, I don't walk around wearing a cape. I'm not, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> like, I feel this stuff all the time, but I, I try not to talk about it too, too much because people look at you funny. Uh, but so it feels weird to say that, but no, definitely there are nights where it's just better to be inside. And, oh, yeah. and again, uh, I don't always know what it is or why. And even sometimes when I'm out there and it's happening, I don't know what or why. Right. I mean, when I see these shadow people, you know, there's a house in my neighborhood that's, I think, a portal they pass through or some kind of thin spot okay. that they pass through because it seems like anytime I'm near there, they kind of cling on to you and follow you home. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's very um, possible. It's very possible that there is some type of portal or doorway or whatever you want to call it. I, uh, I, I Actually, I can tell you a story about that house agreement. Yes. Sure. So... Uh, this this house is it's not a million miles away from where I live. Uh, it's it's in Victoria. I, I can't unfortunately be more specific than that. But uh, when I first got into this stuff in 2012, I told this to a gal I used to work for, and she's a very successful businesswoman, owns her own company, has many employees. You know, no reason to uh, to make something like this up. So when I told her about my interest in these things, she said to me, she took me into her confidence and said that she hears voices and has since she was a little girl. Um, I believe her, uh, she, the family is, um, uh, I can't remember, but, uh, her father was a dip, was a diplomat at one point, I believe, okay. or worked for the diplomatic corps. Uh, she's American and they were stationed in Hong Kong once. And she said when she was a little girl, um, they were living in Hong Kong and I, uh, they were walking around getting a tour. She was quite young and this elderly Chinese woman grabbed her and started excitedly saying something. And they eventually you know, they separated this woman from the girl, and her mother asked what the, what the woman had been saying, and the guide said, she was saying, you see, you see. But she, she told me, she said, I don't see, I hear. And she told me about this house next door. The house next door is a completely bland suburban house. It's a little bungalow, you, you wouldn't pick it out of a lineup. It's, it's the most banal place you can imagine. Okay. But back in 2012 the fellow who lived there had schizophrenia and he his family owned the house but he had schizophrenia okay and you could tell he had gone off his meds because he would start screaming so okay. i guess one day one summer day they were barbecuing and their patio looks into his kitchen and her and her husband heard the screaming they thought okay we better call his family but then they saw through the kitchen window he was hurling himself against the wall hard as in, how can someone throw themselves that hard, hard? Right. And so they called the police. So the police had to break it down the door, 
Um, and when, when they hauled him out of the house, his face was covered in his own blood. He'd been doing this for a while. And his blood was on a lot of the walls. So the family went in, they cleaned everything up. There was old food and garbage. He'd clearly been off his meds for a while. And they put him in what's called Eric Martin Pavilion, which is a local hospital for people suffering from psychological issues. Okay. Uh, he broke, he left, he walked out of Eric Martin and went right back home. It's almost like he's fixated on that house. Yes. So he left Eric Martin, uh, went back home. The police came and got him again, took him back, and they put him in a locked ward this time, which is fine. Uh, and Sorry, that's fine. The, the family went and boarded up the house just in case if he, if he got back out again, can't get back through the doors because they boarded up the doors which again would be fine but the neighbor kept seeing these black flashes moving through his kitchen just flitting quickly okay across her field of view and now her husband doesn't believe in any of this stuff but even he took her aside and said hey i don't want the kids playing near that house okay so uh the time came for them to there's going to be a new family moving in there uh, they were going to rent it out because it looked like the, the fellow who had been living there wasn't able to live on his own for quite some time. And uh, my friend and her husband took the owners aside as they were getting ready, sort of cleaning it up, sprucing it up for the new owners or uh, new tenants and said, hey, look, we know this sounds crazy, but maybe you want to get your house blessed or something. And the owners just put their hands up and said, yeah, we know. Oh. And that was it. So I heard all this. And uh, the, the new people hadn't moved in yet, but I heard all this just after that had taken place. So one night, I was out for a, uh, was out for a drive. Now, my wife and I sometimes, our work schedules are such that she's sort of in bed before I really have a chance to see her, like see her much, because I'm, I'm, I'm late night, she's early, early morning. Okay. Uh, so this night, I heard the story, I hadn't had a chance to tell her yet. So I went for a drive with a friend of mine. I told them the story. And usually, you know, I tell these stories quite often, and usually when I, if I'm driving past the location which is said to be haunted I'll slow the car down and you know everyone gets a chill it's kind of fun I drove past this place and instead of chills I felt what I can best describe as hot needles pressing all around my neck oh. never the, all around my collar rather never felt anything like it before wow and uh, later that night go ahead oh sorry no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say that night, again, now bear in mind, I had not told my wife the story yet. We both had nightmares about there being an intruder in the apartment. Oh. So, we, um, that was it for then. That was sort of it for a while. And then I had some friends come visit from my hometown. And they, they heard the stories. They wanted to see the place. So I took them in front of it. And like I said, it's a very, very unremarkable house. They were very disappointed. Uh, I took them in the daytime, expecting that that would be a little better, and but all the same, I was still prepared for the hot needles. Well, the hot needles never came. Instead of hot needles, I felt what I can best describe as a sinus pressure, just pushing down from the top of my head. It was incredible. And then that night, both my wife and I again dreamed of there being an intruder in the apartment. So okay. uh, about a year passed, and I thought, well, I'm done with this. I'm not going past that place anymore. Until I think it was in October, October 2013. I was out for a walk. My wife had gone to bed, so I'm going to get a coffee, go for a stroll. Really nice October night. And I had it in my head, I'm going to walk past this place. You know, I'm going to walk past this uh, this house just to, see, feel, to feel it again. Because back then I was I was pretty divorced from this stuff most of the time. So it was kind of the equivalent of putting your finger in the flame to remind yourself it's still hot. 
And was it empty or was anybody there living there? Uh, I believe there was someone in there by this point. Okay. But I, I was, uh, the house is on a T-junction. And so I was walking across the top of the T-junction and I was just about to turn right to walk in front of it on the opposite street. And a voice in my head said, don't do that. Ooh. Just keep walking. So I kept walking. And I mean, I passed the house sort of parallel, like I, I kind of passed a couple houses down. But as soon as I stepped, set foot on that block, I felt like I was moving through molasses. It was hard to walk, it was hard to move. Wow. And I got to the other side and just the energy just, I, I was exhausted. Okay. And uh, now I didn't have the dream that night. But I was just tired, tired, tired. And I thought, okay, I'm never going anywhere near this place again. Then December of that year, my mother-in-law came from England for a visit uh, for Christmas. And we thought, okay, well, I told her the stories. She wanted to see the place. And I, at first I said no. And then I thought, oh, I'm being stupid. I'm being, I'm being dramatic. This, this isn't the thing. It sounds like a movie. So I took her to the very farthest end of the street in the car in the daytime and said, oh, see that house down there? There it is. Of course, it's very boring. Well, that night... I was laying on the couch, it was 2 in the morning, uh, the, all the lights were off, I like to sit in the Christmas lights that around that time of year, so I was just sitting there in the Christmas lights, kind of looking at stuff on my phone, and my wife was in bed, uh, her mother was in bed, but my wife had just cut her hair short a few okay. months before, like really, really short, so when she, pardon me, when the figure stepped out of the hallway to my right, and I, I jumped, because I thought, oh, it's, it's my wife, and here I am. You know, quite honest, looking at pictures of half-naked ladies on my phone. You know, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't her. Oh. And it, I remember jumping, because, again, it was like, oh, and my wife doesn't care. She knows that she knows I'm a pig. But she, she you know, she was just, you know, surprised. Uh, but, yeah, no, it, it wasn't her. And at this point, my memory of what happened splits into two. Because I was awake. I was not asleep. I was not sleepy. I was awake, I was looking at my phone. The person stepped out of the hallway, I jumped. Next thing I remember, I'm lying flat on my back, on the couch, and a shadow person is standing about five feet away from my legs, in the corner of the room, turning its head from side to side like it's trying to figure something out. And I cannot move. Oh. And I struggle, and I struggle, I can't move, and finally I scream, and I can move my arms, and it's gone. And I, I can move my whole body again. So I, uh, you know, I thought, well, the heck with this. I'm going to bed. I go get into bed. Next morning, I said to my wife, I'm sorry if I scared you guys when I screamed. And she said, no, you didn't scream. There was no sound. But I, I, uh, I never had, I haven't seen a shadow person since then. Uh, but then I also haven't gone anywhere near that house. I was going to say, hopefully, <laughs> let, let me not test that theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that was uh, that was the end for me. I mean, I have been, um, I have been, because the house again is again not far from my place. I've discovered there is almost like a line, I think that ends at that house, mm -hmm. because if I go for a walk, there is a particular street that once I cross it, I start feeling a, a real. Um, excuse me. The best way I can describe it is like a not a heaviness, but it feels like I cross the street and it feels like you are alone. It feels like you're alone on the moon, and there's even though there's houses everywhere, it feels like there's no one around. And some some nights, the further you walk into that, the heavier the pressure gets on your chest. Wow. 
and some nights I can't go all the way through it because I have this sensation as though if I keep pushing into it, I will not have the strength to walk back out, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's, um, and one time, like one night, I, I, some friends had me over, and then I, I came home, and uh, they'd loaded me up on coffee and sugar, so I was wide awake at 1230. <laughs> so uh, I went for a walk, and I was actually fine going away, like crossing that zone, going out crossing that zone. I was fine. And the plan had been to uh, sort of get to the end of that street, and then I kind of do have like a circle route because I'm, I'm the world's most boring man, and I walk the same route all the time. Uh, but the shadows were so heavy on the circle route. There were so many of the streetlights out for some reason that it didn't feel safe to keep going. Okay. And so I had to come back across that zone where I ordinarily would not. Okay. And I set foot in there, and... The, have you ever been swimming and been caught in a riptide? Yes. It felt like that. It felt like you're far from the shore. You cannot get back. And uh, it was the strangest thing. I I ended up posting a bunch of stuff, uh, of all things, on, on, our, on the podcast Instagram just to kind of connect myself to the world. Didn't say anything that I was upset about anything, but just to, like, to connect so there's some connection between me and the outside world kind of despite where this place is and um yeah it was what's incredible is i i was walking down the middle of the street because the shadows were so heavy on either side of the road that but as soon as i crossed the line a car passed up up ahead and all of a sudden there was cars and there was traffic and all this stuff but when i was on the further part of that street in what i call sort of that that highway where these things pass through there was nothing not a voice not a sound not yeah, a car passing. Silence, like a vacuum kind of thing. Exactly. So, I, I, I'm not sure where I was going with all these stories, but uh, no, that's yeah, let me it, tell you that that's a fascinating story because it's almost I want to say that you really all you have to you don't really have to go to any place that's supposedly haunted. All you have to do is go. There must be something about you, the sensitivity, the ability to see or sense or whatever you want to call it, that you're going to pull them in. I I guess um, actually I'll tell you something uh, I don't know how much time we have but no uh, keep going I'll tell you something that happened to me I'm going to be talking about this on our podcast uh, but I'll tell you first because we're, okay. we're not recording till Saturday so uh, my book A Strange Little Place came out in August 2016 it's a paranormal history of Revelstoke BC my hometown uh, I found stuff going back as far as the 30s and I think Revelstoke and I I know everyone says you know if you look at a place long enough you'll find scary stories I think Revelstoke is unique. Um, I think because it sits, I think, at the confluence of two rivers, one of which is the Columbia, okay. uh, the mountains, the train, I, I think it's it's a nexus. And certainly people I've talked to since putting the book out have confirmed that to a degree, saying uh, one psychic I spoke to said they see places that are thin as screen doors. And their, their perception of Revelstoke was that the, the holes in the screen are bigger than they've ever seen. And uh, so I, I've been back and forth a little less since the book came out. Uh, but just over the last couple of weeks, I was invited back to speak to a high school class uh, because they were studying my book. Okay. So I went back. And now something has shifted in Revelstoke in the last year. Uh, and I think p- part of it may be I am working on some research that I'm never going to be able to publish publicly, uh, unfortunately. But 
I've sort of reached some conclusions about that area again that I can't really can't really share, but they sort of confirm some suspicions of mine about that area. Uh, but anyways, why is it it's, because some some of the people are still alive or yeah just exactly. Don't want... Okay. Yeah, some some of the people are still alive, and and some of them are not, and I don't want to. Sure. I don't want to. I just don't want to. It's it's digging up people's pain, and I don't right. think there's any need for it. I don't think it's it's not going to help them accomplish anything. Uh, so it would just be for my own aggrandizement, and I I you know I don't need that. Um, but I I think one of the many things I, I will say is I think there is sort of an entity that lives there. Okay. Uh, and I. Th- like a na- nature spirit, maybe. Was I say <clears throat> something non-human, elemental, along those lines? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, like an elemental. Um, so <clears throat> okay. I don't. When I'm back in Revelstoke, now bear in mind, I'm I'm a night guy. I'm always out walking, driving, taking pictures. Even in Revelstoke, which is not a big place. Okay. The last two times I've been in Revelstoke, I have not felt safe being out at night alone. The night is so dark, so heavy, that I just don't feel safe and. On this most recent trip, uh, I really keenly felt it. I arrived about 10.30 at night, and I stay with family when I'm there. So I, okay. I got to the my aunt's place and uh, had a chat with her, went and got some food, and I had to be up early the next Sometimes don't sleep very well when I'm staying at my aunt's place. So I, I, I sort of did this, uh, I'm sure you've, you've done some version of this before, sort of like a a mental protection thing. Sure. Where I imagine Absolutely. laying in bed and I imagine this white box forming around the bed mm-hmm. to sort of just kind of cut me off so I can maybe sleep a little better. Well, as I'm laying there and I fell asleep, well, 2.30 in the morning, I woke up, or sorry, I, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was in the back of an, it was like I was in a Jeep, like an all-white Jeep inside. Okay. And something huge started trying to smash its way in to the white box I was in. Right. And it, it, it managed to create a dent and I could see through the, some of the holes it was making. It, it was massive, like a dinosaur, but black. Mm-hmm. And just kept using its head to try and smash into this white box I was in. It couldn't get in, but it was managing to deform the sides enough I could see more and more of it. And uh, I woke up just terrified. So finally got back to sleep, and then the next morning I was driving to my first uh, classroom visit, and I said, look, man, uh, I was sort of speaking to no one in particular. I said, you want to talk, you got to dial it back, because that's too much. So the next night I did the same thing, uh, but I left a movie playing on my phone just so I'd have some background noise, some noise to fall asleep to. Okay. Well, that night I dreamed that I was in a hotel room, a white hotel room, the doors and windows all closed, and then I was watching a movie on television. And then someone started knocking at the door. And for some reason, the knocking filled me with this dread. And I thought, I don't want to deal with this. And then when I refused to knock to answer the door, the phone started ringing in the dream. And the phone is ringing and the door is knocking. And it occurs to me, I told it to dial it back. This is it dialing it back. So I woke up, again, terrified, and uh, I eventually went back to sleep. Third night, there was nothing, so I thought, okay, well, it's just past me. It was my imagination. But the fourth night, I dropped my friend off. Uh, A friend of mine had come out to visit, so we we visited for a while. 
uh, while I was doing my laundry. I, and so I dropped her off back at her place about 11.30 at night. And uh, for whatever reason, that night, I didn't feel as uncomfortable being out. Okay. And I, so I, was, I went for a bit of a drive, and I went down roads that I ordinarily would not go down. And I've spoken to a few people who have sort of a sensitivity to this stuff, and mm-hmm. it, they seem to think that maybe I was being subtly influenced to kind of bring myself in a vibration with okay. whatever it was was trying to reach out. Because when I got back to my aunt's place, I heard this humming sound. And I thought it was a spin cycle on the dryer. It was that loud. Okay. So I went upstairs to where the laundry room is located, where I heard the humming sound. My aunt's room, she normally has a television on. You can see the light reflected in the frosted glass doors of her room. Television was off that night. And I looked in the laundry room, neither the washer nor dryer were on. And that humming is coming from an empty room down the hallway. There's nothing in that room that makes that sound. Oh. It's like an electrical transformer. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Humming. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the feeling I got in my head, it was the strangest thing. I remember thinking to myself, I'm supposed to go check that out. And I remember thinking, nope. <laughs> nope, nope, the hell with that. Yeah. And I, I went back in my room, I went in my room, closed the door, did the boxing, went to sleep. Uh, but what's interesting is I don't remember doing this, but I woke up at 3.30 in the morning and tweeted out a joke about strange noises from empty rooms. I don't remember waking up and doing that. But obviously I woke up at 3.30 and there was still noise. Wow. So whatever it was was trying to... I think, trying to get my attention and sort of lure me away. And nothing's ever happened in your aunt's house, you know? Oh, she's there, ever... there's, oh, she's, yeah, she's had a lot of presents there. Like my uncle, uh, her husband passed eight years ago very suddenly. Okay. And, um, you know, she, she's had electrical problems ever since then, and she thinks it's him, but uh, she's right next to the Columbia River, which I believe to be a source of extreme power. Yes. So uh, I don't necessarily know that whatever is passing through there is quite as comforting as she wants it to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you know what? It's really weird sometimes as humans we put, like you said, the most comforting spin on things just because, hey, I want to stay living here. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's a nice, (laughs) gorgeous house. I'd want to live there too. But... But, uh, you know, it's like if you, you know, in other words, if I really think about what it is that I'm witnessing, I'm not going to want to live in this beautiful house anymore. But Absolutely. if I'm thinking it's my husband. Yeah, this makes it a little bit easier. Sure. Yeah, so so that's sort of, I, I do think, I, I, I never used to, and again, I used to be pretty skeptical about all this stuff, but I, I like to say I am, if, if there is such a thing as a reluctant paranormal investigator, I am that. That you're that, huh? Because I don't, you know, I'm not, you're very unlikely to catch me running around somewhere in the dark with a night vision camera. You know, it's just not, not my nature. Like you don't need to um, do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an unusual way of living. And I, I don't, again, I don't think about it much. I have a day job. I'm very boring most of the time. You know, I eat the same thing for lunch every day, but, uh, <laughs> it's but just. But you know what? It sounds like. You pay attention, like you said, to your intuition, like, hey, I, I don't need to find out or verify how much of this is accurate. Is like that, That's it, yeah, because I'm not trying to prove anything. Exactly. You know, that, that's something we say on the podcast. We're, we're never going to try and convince you of anything. Exactly. You know, if you come to me and say, 
Uh, in fact, the only interview I've ever turned down uh, for for a podcast was these two guys who said, We're, we want a true believer to teach us who's going to like m- prove to us ghosts exist. Mm. And I said, man, I, I'm not your guy. I don't care what you believe. Yeah. I don't, like truly, it just really doesn't, it doesn't matter to me in the slightest. I I know that I would never have been convinced if I hadn't had the experiences I'd had. And I'm glad you pointed that out. You know, somebody could sit there and tell you all these stories or, you know, whatever, and people could go, man, that sounds, but you really, it's not till you have that firsthand experience that you really understand or believe, in other words. Yeah. Yeah, that, no, that's it. I would never have been convinced. And I think I mentioned that in the book, in the introduction. I said, you know, I, I would never have believed this before I had my own experiences and it didn't matter how many hundreds of pages someone had thrown thrown at me wouldn't have made a difference um so yeah so it's been it's been interesting I mean the book has sold uh not very well um and it's I I mean I think it's partially because Revelstoke wants to stay anonymous I think the city wants to be the the things that are there want Mm -hmm. to be left to their devices and they don't want attention and you came across as what when you were researching the history on, uh, of the town. In other words, because, you know, when you live in places, you know about certain things and some maybe, might, you know, like you said, you might have family members that will talk about certain events. But sometimes when you do actual research, sometimes you come across things that you're like, man, I didn't know this. Is that what happened well, with you? Uh, sort of, sort of. Um, I mean, there were things I didn't know, certainly. Like the the river... The river's always been a rough spot. I mean, Revelstoke's always been a dangerous place. You know, the, the highway east of the city, of the, I want to say, 700 avalanche-related deaths that have happened in Canada since they started keeping track in the, I want to say, early 1800s. Right. Uh, 250 of them happened east of Revelstoke before 1911. Wow. Because of the uh, the avalanches. It's, it's treacherous. I mean... Uh, Revelstoke is really isolated. I mean, it's 45 minutes to the next, 40 minutes to the next town to the west, uh, an hour and a half to the next town to the east. The road dead, the road north dead ends in a in a dam, and the road south dead ends in a, a lake. And I mean, there is a ferry terminal that takes you across the lake uh, to other towns, but yeah, no, it's it's like you, you get there and you stay there and sometimes in the winter when the avalanches come down you you be stuck there sometimes you know not so much now but you know as much as four or five days now even now you know I, I remember going to see a movie in a neighboring town a couple of years ago while I, was, while I was just home visiting my friends and uh, a mudslide closed the highway we had to take a six hour detour and that that we're talking the main highway that connects western Canada from eastern Canada and yeah, so that this was, was not like a, back in the, the the old days when you know, and the town was set up because of what what was it mining lumber? What was the the origins? My, uh, mining and lumber. Yeah, okay. there was um there was a lot of mining not around Revelstoke but in what's called the Kootenay region to the southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there so Revelstoke. Yeah, there was that. It was also sort of a convenient middle point for a lot okay. of other things, you know, and, and sort of where the they ended up putting the railroad through. You know, it was just sort of a convenient spot. It was also a convenient spot for what used to be the paddle wheelers that would come down the river. Okay. And, uh, and I mean, that leads to one of the great disasters. I, I don't have the details, unfortunately, anymore, but, I mean, it's in the book. I just don't remember them specifically, but uh, there was a ferry boat disaster on the river where I believe a couple dozen people were killed. Um, there is an area north of the north of Revelstoke on the river called the Dal de Moor, which are the death rapids, the rapids of death. And uh, they were a particularly 
bumpy part of the river. And yeah, it, um, as I said, it, it took the life of every, almost everyone on that ferry. And the first indication they had is when the bodies started washing up downriver. They had no idea. Right. Uh, and then there was sort of Canada's own uh, a miniature version of the Donner Party oh, that really? happened. Uh, yeah, we had a, a couple fur trappers. Our fur traders were on their, uh, you know, their canoe or kayak or whatever canoe, mm-hmm. I guess. It overturned on the Dal de Moor. Uh, they barely made it out alive. They lost all their provisions. And on the way back to civilization, uh, they killed and ate each other till there was one left. Yeah, let me tell you something. People don't realize when you wanna, when you wanna survive. And I mean, you think, you know, when you're well fed in a warm place, you're thinking, how could anybody do that? But put yourself out in the cold and hungry. Yeah, no, that's it. So I definitely learned a lot about Rebel Stoke. Uh, this is sort of something new that's kind of come to light for me in terms of my thinking about about certain things. But um, but I think it has always been a haunted place. I, I had no idea, to be honest. Ninety uh, percent of these stories were all new to me. Ninety uh, percent of the stories in the book were completely unknown to me uh, before before starting to work on the book. You know, I, I like to joke that I learned more about Rebel Stoke in the three years it took me to write the book than I did in twenty four years of living there. Did you ever have, when you were doing the book, Brandon, did you ever have people, because you know that sometimes people know about certain things, either either stories or their own experiences that they've never told anybody until they get a sympathetic ear, let's say like yours. Did you ever have anybody that tell you, by the way, I've never told this to anybody, but... Oh, sure. I, I, I like to say that's the ghost story refrain, you know. Yeah. I, I This is going to, it's either that or this is going to sound crazy, but, mm-hmm. you know, um... I mean, in most of the people I spoke to in my book, they were not people you might ordinarily associate with these things. These are kind of working class, right. blue collar people who were not given to this kind of stuff. And I mean, one guy threatened me. <laughs> one guy actually threatened me. Um, so I, I was not able. He said, uh, "He said, don't you ever mention anyone you came to my house. Don't you ever mention my name in association with this. Uh, get in your car and leave right now." <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I, there was all manner of responses, uh, but. Uh, yeah. And, and there's the final chapter is called uh, whispers because it's it's one or two sentence descriptions of things that I just couldn't substantiate. Okay. But it's a whole chapter full of UFO encounters and ghost and paranormal stories that uh, that again I just couldn't develop any further. But they are out there, you know. But, and I think I, I've covered just a fraction of what's happening. Considering how isolated, and I know what you were describing. Did you ever run across any stories or encounters with people with I'm going to say cryptids. I'm not going to say oh, sure. Bigfoot or anything. I'm just going to say cryptids as in stuff that's like, this is not of this earth or this is this is weird. Absolutely, yeah. There was okay. uh, a number of stories of what you might call Sasquatch. Okay. Uh, one, of w- one of which comes from a, a friend I grew up with, and he's an, I believe he's a, a forester. Okay. So he knows he knows the bush. He knows the stuff. And the, the short version of that is he was driving to work one morning, uh, very early, you know, about four in the morning, I think, on the highway east. And he saw what he believed at first to be a bear standing by the side of the road. Okay. Now, he had hit a bear with his truck on that road a few weeks before. Okay. So he did not want to have to deal with that again. So he slowed right. right down, which allowed him to get a really good look at this thing. And when he looked at it, he realized that's not a bear. That is standing on its hind legs. It is about five feet tall. It has shaggy hair, like five to seven. He, he figured about seven inches long hair, and it was leaning against the tree watching him pass and as it watched him pass he said it reached out and grabbed the tree with its hand palm like palm towards the tree and swung itself around 
and then walked into the bush on its hind legs. Wow. So he said, that's not a bear. Yeah. And he said, that's, he's never seen anything like that. I mean, so that's just one story. That's just, me, the just the point where your reality just goes on its side like tongue. It's like, all right. Yep, exactly. Uh, and his father, this actually, there seems to be a sensitivity in the family because his father told me a story. Uh, sorry, his uncle. Uh, pardon me. His father told me a story about his the boy's uncle. The uncle himself wouldn't speak to me. But he was um, down south on what's called the Arrow Lakes. And the Arrow Lakes are what the Columbia River flow into. Okay. Now, in 1962, I believe it was, the U.S. started pressuring Canada to dam the Columbia River to meet its power needs. Okay. So a, lo- a number of small towns were packed up and moved, and they flooded this valley. So there used to be the towns of Sidmouth, Beaton, Burton, um, a couple others down there that are under the water now. I mean, they were mostly deconstructed before they were flooded, but that valley used to be home to people. Uh, but this fellow was down there, and he saw a light skimming the top of the lake this fly a white light flying along skimming the top of the lake uh, someone else has seen what you might call a lake monster okay in there like sort of a kind of a Loch Ness type thing or a, mm-hmm. a, we have the Okopogo here but uh, like that okay. but again you know I don't believe it is a giant sea monster because it just no one else has seen it and there's not enough fish in the lake to sustain something of that size okay um, and yeah, no, I can't tell that story. Uh, what is the other one? But yeah, so th- there are a number of these things there, and um, I'm I'm very much of the opinion that cryptids are paranormal, temporary paranormal intrusions into the world. I don't think. Right. I don't think there's a, a, a race of undiscovered wood apes living out in the bush, and I know some people do, and, and that's fine. Um, but I just I don't believe it, and I, I and I just the same way I don't believe that there's these huge sea monsters somehow hiding themselves. Right. I and think nobody's these discovered. Yeah, I think they're temporary manifestations of the paranormal into our world. I think they are temporary forms that they use to accomplish whatever purpose they're trying to accomplish. Right. Like, and I mean, I've heard that even UFOs, you, they're, the way they travel is not really per se in spaceships. They could even be traveling like intradimensionally. And sometimes yeah, yeah, when yeah. you have these sightings of cryptids, it's almost like the same thing. They kind of come in here and that's why nobody can find them again. Yeah, and I, I tend to very much be along those lines. I, I know uh, I did some work in remote viewing mm-hmm. and uh, back in 2015, and I, I remember, I think it was Joe McMonigle, who's one of the, the sort of the OG remote viewers, mm-hmm. was asked to view, uh, to kind of double-blind view a, a, a UFO sighting. And his take on it was, he said, I feel like I'm looking at something that is like one half of, a, of two cans on a string. Okay. And he said, the other half is somewhere else. I can't see it. Right. And, and I tend to think, uh, I mean, who knows whether that's right, but I, for me, UFO encrypted stuff, I tend to think is along those lines. I think it is, right. uh, yeah, as I say, I keep saying a temporary manifestation of something that is here to do something else. Uh, I myself, actually, when I was in Revelstoke last year, uh, I had one of those moments where I thought, I shouldn't go out, but I really needed to go for a drive or I wasn't going to be able to sleep. Mm-hmm. And as I came around this corner, I saw what I... It looked like two huge legs, but black. And I thought I was looking at the shadow of the trees, but then it stepped behind the trees. Wow. But it was almost like my vision cut out after after I looked up. Like I, I saw, again, I thought I was looking at tree shadows, mm-hmm. 
Okay. And then I started going up and I realized, no, the trees are joined up at a certain point. And I'm like, is that, is that, are those legs? And all of a sudden it was, it was like something clicked in my head. And all of a sudden now there was, there was nothing there. Wow. So, so there's definitely those kinds of stories there. Absolutely. Well, Brennan, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with me. It has been absolutely wonderful. It's been fascinating. <laughs> well, you know, are you, are you working I, I, on, on any new book? Uh, are you going to do any other books about those stories about this town, which sounds like there's a lot of material there? Uh, there is. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't, not really interested in working on another book uh, on Revelstoke for the moment. Um, actually, the podcast takes up a lot of my spare time, so that's sort okay. of where I've been, and that's been growing very nicely. Okay. Uh, so I, that's sort of where I've been devoting my time, and that's uh, the ghost story, guys. Again, we record every or we release every two weeks. Okay. And where we, what we do is we we just tell we tell true life ghost stories. We'll pick a topic, we try and find as many stories as we can centered around that topic. Uh, so we've done we like to do cities. We did Pittsburgh recently, uh, the okay. haunting of Pittsburgh. We've done haunting of Las Vegas, uh, haunted. We're doing a haunted items episode coming up. We've done. Okay. Uh, Ghost of the Machine, which is, you know, when electronics don't operate the way you think they should. Um, so that takes up most of my time. Let me tell you something. Uh, when you said that thing about the house, every once in a while I'll bring up, you know, how nowadays, you know, besides garage sales, now people leave, leave stuff on the curb, you know, like free take it. Oh, I yeah. I tell everybody, you see something too good to be true, be careful <laughs> before you take oh, something yeah. off the curb. Absolutely. I, I don't even like, I mean, sometimes electronics freak me out, you know. I, yeah. I was I was in the car with my friend the other day. I, I dropped I uh, dropped them off, and uh, they were we were setting up a time to meet for the next day because we had to get some stuff done. And after I turned my car back on, the uh, the phone my my phone starts playing a sound. So I turn up the speakers, and somehow for some reason, the phone recorded the last twenty seconds of our conversation, and is replaying it in a loop over the car speakers. What? Yeah, it, and I, I went through the, because I've got an Android, I went through the whole activity log. There is no record in the log of the phone recording, but it was replaying our the last 20 seconds of that conversation where we were agreeing to the time for the next day over and over and over. So sometimes, you know, even the stuff, you, you know, the stuff we think is uh, is normal or safe may not be that. Well, no, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, you've heard of animism, but how much of the animism is stuff that we make up versus you know spirits inhabiting inanimate objects it's like there's always that possibility yeah. that's it man who knows who knows thank you for having me this has been a no, ton of absolutely. fun I appreciate you let me ramble it has been my pleasure and i want to wish you the best of luck on all your uh, all your projects and on your podcast show well, thank you very much take care you too bye-bye so guys fascinating huh i'm telling you See, he absolutely, uh, again, you know, this, like I said before, this is the type of uh, guest that I love to interview because he's very upfront. He says, I came not from the, he wasn't only a, if you want to call it a skeptic or a non-believer, he was an atheist, which means I didn't believe in anything, like nothing, much less an afterlife or ghost or anything that goes with it. Is, you know, you'll have people that say, I don't believe in ghosts, but they believe in your spirit and your soul and in heaven. And, and, you know, that once we die, that's not the big goodbye. There's more to us than that. They just don't happen to believe in ghosts. And he was, he didn't even go there. It was like, it's over. And I'm glad he pointed it out because, and I've said it before in other shows, 
don't get me wrong. If you hear, let's 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 say we're talking here true ghost stories. I'm not going to say credibility on the part of the person telling you the story absolutely matters. It does. But as far as belief to take you from the I kind of believe or I don't want to believe or I'm an atheist, I'm sorry. Nothing, nothing ever, ever, ever is going to replace the moment you have a first-hand experience. Okay? That is the moment, like I said, chances are, you know, you're, despite whatever, you're, you, you can't replicate it. You didn't take a picture of it or record it or anything. It's just something that happens to you on some level that... You say, even if I cannot convince anybody about what I experienced, I know what I experienced. Okay? And that is the moment when you say, I might not understand exactly what happens to us, but there's something else out there. Plus, a lot more sometimes. Like when he's describing about that there's something, and I've heard this before, uh, that exists in the place of where this town is at which basically we're talking about the land or and I want to say when we think of land and things and we're kind of thinking as far as what we can see with our eyes linear space but there's a layer I think of things that we don't perceive with our regular senses and again when I say when we talk about ghosts and human spirits it's almost like that just part of what sometimes exists that we just don't see, don't want to see, sometimes it's best because like he said, a lot of these things don't really belong in our dimension for various reasons. Some of them are malevolent. Some of them, I don't want to say they're malevolent, but they're not good. They're, they don't, they don't operate with the moral compass that we do. Okay. They just, there's there's no hatred, but there's no compassion. And for us as human beings, sometimes we try to like, like either you're bad or good, evil, whatever. And it's very difficult sometimes for us to conceive of that absence of one or the other. Okay. Almost like, um, if you want to say Mother Nature, I'm going to use Mother Nature, but you know, whatever. You know, when, uh, let's say, an animal kills another animal to eat or to defend its young. You know, our human sensibilities will go, oh no. But there's no evil there. Or no, it w there's not a question of evil or compassion or love or anything. It's just something that happens. We just filter it through whatever we have as humans, how, what our emotional makeup is. And I think sometimes the reason why it's safer for us in our dimensions to keep these beings, entities, I'm just using that as the best applicable word, outside of our reality is because they could play havoc with us on this dimension because we just wouldn't understand it. And every once in a while, and, 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 to be, and I really don't think they're that interested in us unless we try to interact with them when we shouldn't. And sometimes if they've been in a place for a while, and I mean, again, this, this, this is a whole nother show than that subject as far as elementals, things that happen to the land or the mountain, uh, 
place. Like I said, it's neither bad or good, but sometimes it causes certain things to happen in our human world that when we look at it, we look at them as really undesirable things. Okay. And, you know, there's that popular, I don't want to say it's a myth, that living in harmony with nature is so desirable and we're going to come out on the good end of that. And it's like, yeah, yes because I don't believe in destroying nature, but at the same time, it could run our asses over. Literally. Literally. Because we're always thinking it's going to understand us. Nature will be so grateful that we're taking care of it and vice versa. And I don't think nature really needs us one way or the other. Yeah, sometimes we do stupid stuff and really the only ones that we kind of like, kind of is like ourselves. We're kicking ourselves in the ass. But nature in and of itself has been around and will it's like cause and effect okay you step off the side of a building you're gonna fall gravity's gonna work on you sorry something to do with your good bad person evil whatever it's gonna affect you just the same and I think a lot of times we try to filter to forces nature things maybe beyond our kin we want to filter it through the way we look at our world as human beings like I said, good, bad, evil, malicious, giving, forgiving, mercy, compassion. And I may tell you, I think there's a lot of those things that just don't operate on those premises. And sometimes it's to our advantage, and sometimes it is not. Especially when you try to deal with something, and it's like, it doesn't happen. It can be very terrifying, as a matter of fact. What... And again, another thing that he pointed out, which I think is great, is he listens to his intuition. In other words, he's learned really quick, by the way. You know, if I have this feeling, I'm not going to try to find out if I'm on the money or if I've just got a wild imagination. He's already had more than one instance where he realizes, you know what, when I feel this way, I'm going to heed it. And like I said, you know what? It's just like, you know, the people that don't get on the plane that turns out to crash. And then, of course, you hear the story. They dodged the bullet. Wow. We never find out about the people that had that feeling, got on the plane, and they died. Because they're not around to say, hey, you know what? I had this really crazy dream before I went on this trip. I really had this bad feeling before getting on the plane. uh, And I didn't heed it. They, They went down. There's no way to quantify how many people have that feeling. Just don't pay attention to it, either because it, they can't, it, it's not, it, or because they're just, they feel stupid. They feel stupid thinking, oh man, I, I, there's no reason for me to feel this way, but I'm, I, I forget it. And, you know, and by this, I'm, I'm, uh, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with logic or being logical, but a lot of people are slaves to logic. And I want to say almost the opposite of logic is intuition. Logic is something that can be proven, uh, beginning, middle, end. Uh, If I do this, this will be the result. I can, it's logical. And intuition is none of that. Intuition sometimes springs up from the unknown. Sometimes you have no idea how you got the information or the feeling, especially the feeling thing. 
logic and feelings. It's like, mm-mm. Antithesis one or the other. And there's a lot of people that are slaves to logic. Or they feel foolish or they, f- or they think, uh, you know, it's like, like they almost like make fun of themselves thinking that they're actually basing their actions on intuition. Especially when the intuition is telling you, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't get on that plane. Don't go down that street. Don't, like what he said, don't leave your house today. And not only because a lot of times we think of intuition as in the bad thing that's going to happen. You know, like he said, he went to that place, it was a shootout or this or that. But if you listen to what Brian's saying, there's times that he goes, I know that there's something out there in the night that it's not good for me to cross paths with it. In other words, it's not actually going to be another human being or another human event that I'm going to avoid. Sometimes there's the dark things out there at that point that for whatever reason, maybe they've been summoned, invoked, it's an anniversary, something happened. God, it could be a number of things that normally are not there that are there. And your best bet is to stay in your space, your sacred space you know and not not venture forth because a lot of times some of these I don't want to I'm going to use the word beings well entities sometimes they do latch out onto the nearest energy source or if there's some type of affinity between the way you are and what that thing is alright and matter of fact the interview I did a few days ago was with uh, a gentleman by the name of Shane Serrois and he deals with extreme hauntings and one of the one of the hallmarks of these extreme hauntings is what he calls parasitic uh, ghosts I'm gonna use ghosts because it's not really because it's not he doesn't see them as ghosts per se they're they're basically entities that are parasitic and you know I'm not going to use the word possession, but sometimes it affects the human being that it attaches itself to. Uh, and, of course, sometimes he's seen physical manifestations. But anyway, part, and I hope you guys, if you didn't hear it, go back. Because by the time you hear this show, the show, that other show, with, with that interview with Shane's already out. Uh, he describes where sometimes there is a like attract like thing going on. Okay. And it almost senses like an affinity and a weakness in you as to I'm going to attach this person if they're going into a depression, if they've got anger, if something's going on, which is, you know, like, you know, when you're trying to open something up and you can just stick your finger in a little bit, but it's a place like, you know, have you ever been trying to open something? And the only way to get is if you could get a little opening, then that's it. You can eventually open whatever it is whether it's a wrapper it's along the same lines kind of that same idea and I think that's part of what Brennan was talking about like there's times that I know that I need to stay home and you know what I'm not into paranoia absolutely not and I don't believe human beings operate the best under fear under states of fear because as, as a matter of fact that's really bad for us but there's times that I think that when you have that gut feeling, that feeling, that intuition, that you heed it without having to figure out 
Am I right? Am I wrong? Or feeling stupid. Yep. And you, you heard him. He sounds like a pretty level-headed guy. Well, anyway, I hope you like the show. I know I love speaking to him. I'm going to uh, have a credit with uh, with a link to, to where you could... Uh, his, his website is largelythetruth.com. And uh, the Ghost Story Guys is the podcast version of what he does. Okay, I suggest you check out the podcast because basically those podcasts, which is what I'm hoping to do, is real-time storytelling. Yeah, you could write the book, which I'm working on book, and you know sometimes that's good. Uh, but the podcast, of course, depending on you know what the content is, is basically storytelling in the now. And I think the first one, I mean. I think since time immemorial, I think since the cave people were around, you know, cavemen, people love to hear stories. We're fascinated by stories, whether they're true or they're made up. Um, and especially when you, you know, sometimes you hear the same stories again and again, but you never get tired of it. And other times you listen to somebody who's found all this fascinating new stories or information, like props, well, like what it sounds like he did with that book. And, I'm, and I know he says he's not going to write about all the other stuff that he's dug up, but I can see why if he still, you know, has ties to this place and he's respecting their privacy or, you know, why he's not going to write about things that, because I've sometimes run across stuff that I'm like, you know what, this is just best kept under wraps. I'll just put this information away somewhere. So anyway, guys, don't forget if you want to find links to the show's whether it's the video or the podcast version, you can go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. You can find it there. I have links to different podcast platforms. So if you have a certain one like iTunes, Stitcher, a Spreaker, uh, I have a link that will take you directly to where all our shows are kept if you need to download them. Uh, again, if you want need to submit a story, of course, I'm always taking stories. Go to the Submit My Story tab. You're going to find a way to... Uh, get in touch with me whether you want to submit the story in writing or you want me to interview you I'm I'm good just let me know and we'll take it from there and again guys I want to thank you so very much for being part of my audience you're all wonderful and I absolutely love the time that we spend together take care